Welcome to Game Over Montreal. We got another interesting game here where the Habs put up a gutsy performance against the Florida Panthers, but were outmatched in the end. And it was basically the result that everybody expected, especially all the betting lines if you looked at it before the game. But I'm going to be joined today by uh, Matt Lichtenstadter and Jack Hans. I'm going to welcome them in right now. How's it going, guys? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Yeah, good, good to be here. I, I actually enjoyed watching that game. A lot of people it were really dreading good. it. And, and- yeah. The you first 40 were better, right? Like, yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, so unfortunate uh, that the Canadians couldn't keep up for the whole game, but uh, the first 40 minutes, I would say, they were much better than anybody expected. Um, Pretty gutsy performance, especially after Paquette was also lost in the first minute. For I, I believe he came back in the second period, but uh, crazy situation that that game was even played, really. I know that uh, the Florida Panthers played with uh, 16 skaters uh, two weeks ago. But on top of losing guys like available to them, the Canadians are down 22 contracted players right now between injuries and COVID, which is completely insane. I counted before the game started. I counted four established NHLers in the lineup. So, so they they were who we thought they were ultimately. Yeah. But but I thought I thought they did some really good things, especially in the first period. Yeah, totally with you. I feel like at the end of the day, despite the scoreline not being flattering. Like that's probably a pretty proud coaching staff of what they were able to accomplish out there. Yeah. And I can tell that that's the case because my beloved Y hockey co-host was texting me during the game, not particularly pleased with their performance. So yeah, Montreal played their tails off that they, they played better than they had any right to on new year's day afternoon with two players down and not even Laval rocket. I, I was impressed with the way they played that. That was as good of a performance as I've seen from a team in that sort of situation in a very long time. And, and yet, you know, you, you look at the final score, you look at the final shot count, it was like five two, like 42 shots for Florida and like 25 for Montreal. So, I mean, like I was on Twitter after the first period and a lot of people were kind of maybe suggesting that, you know, the vets on, on this team who are not playing should be kind of ashamed of their performance because, you know, you have call-ups who are playing this well. But the, the thing you've got to realize is when you when you call up players um, who essentially wouldn't be here normally, if they play badly, you kind of expect it. But then if they play well, then you're pleasantly surprised. But you got to realize that, the, you know, they don't actually belong here and that they're going to have trouble sustaining that level of performance, whether it's because... Uh, conditioning wise, you know, when you go from playing third pair of minutes to playing top pair of minutes, that's going to start weighing on you or whether it's, um, you know, if, if you're a fourth liner trying to kind of play is that Michael Pizzato was, was, uh, was pulling, was trying to pull off, you know, success rates are, are not going to go in your favor normally. So you, you kind of saw that in the second half, but in the first half, you saw some good things, but at the same time, if you look at the the whole game, you you realize that there is a sizable gap between what a good NHL team is and uh, which Florida is, even though they didn't really play their best and a team that really shouldn't be at that level. Yeah. And, you know, as much as like people have been dogging on the veterans, I think a little bit over this stretch where the Canadians have been getting like some pretty strong uh, levels of care, we'll say from some of the younger guys like Jesse Alonen has 
been kind of establishing himself as more than just a, a throwaway prospect kind of player. But I, I think you look at guys like Nick Suzuki, who've been getting criticized a lot recently, and through the first 40 minutes, he was arguably outside of maybe Sam Montembeau, who had a pretty strong start, but I think was more lucky than good. Um, I think he was probably the Canadians' best player. He got things going for them. He almost turned the game on its head, making it 2-1 to one there, and eventually it was just, you know, the Florida Panthers were going to power through. They were just so much more talent on that team than the Canadians right now. It was inevitable that things were going to happen this way, but uh, I really like the play of Nick Suzuki tonight. And, uh, like, speaking of those veterans, like... Even not even the veterans like Kel Clegg is not a veteran. He played 27 and a half minutes tonight because David Savard took three minor penalties. You know, Clegg took one as well. So he's just forced into situations where, you know, you're just leaning on this guy who was a waiver pickup a couple weeks ago. It's nuts, right? <laughs> it's, I find it hard to judge like Nick Suzuki where like maybe he like skates slow back to the bench on at the end of a, at the end of a shift, right? And people are like, oh, he's dogging it back to the bench. He's playing 25 minutes a night. It reminds me of what the Panthers had to do when they played with 16 right before they went on pause against the Kings. And they scored first. They kept it up for much more of that game than they should have. And you got a guy like Chase Prisky who's playing 25-something minutes in that game because they were in a very similar position, the Panthers, that night. And eventually an NHL team's going to, wear you out but Suzuki played his tail off too he's a good player and I think in a situation like this it, it's so unique obviously because of the world we're in it's one of those games where you can enjoy the effort and enjoy the moments of the flashes from the players who are obviously established and it, it gives them something I would think to build on and let's see when they play again obviously because all their home games have been postponed but after a game like that it's it you hate the term moral victory, but that's that was as good as a moral victory as you're going to get in a situation that is as untenable as anything you're ever going to face in the NHL. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those situations where, like, I think we talk about building on it and moral victories. I'm guessing that the guys in the room don't really see it that way because the season is just so brutal. I think, if anything, it's a chance for guys that maybe never would have got a chance in the NHL to show that maybe they're a bit better than organization expected uh, there's some guys who you know i think that uh, you look at a couple weeks ago people talking about uh, lucas vedemo and they're saying like he never he hasn't been getting the chances in laval that maybe he's earned and then you see him up on the top line in montreal and he's generating chances uh jack from your perspective do you see a player there or is he a guy that is just kind of put in that spot right now. And he's just got that energy from being a recent call up. Um, like I don't see maybe the, 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 the kind of the, the physical tools that maybe a Yolonen would have, like, like I really like Yolonen. I think he's going to be a good player, maybe even, you know, a great player in the NHL. But, um, like I definitely loved having him with Suzuki and Duran, whereas Videmo, like, the, the reason why a lot of these players, like they look good in these circumstances is because they're not afraid to make a mistake and they're getting regular puck touches. Right. And for a guy like that, like your, your game kind of, it shrivels up. If you're on the fourth line, if you're chipping pucks in, dumping pucks out, whereas, you know, today, you know, that 
if you try to make a play and you turn it over, you're still going to go. Like the coach is not going to start playing two lines. Like it's just not, not going to happen. Yeah. So you're a little bit looser. Um, your line mates, maybe they, they give you the puck in, uh, in different spots. And once you start feeling the puck, then your confidence kind of snowballs in a positive way. Um, but, but it's at, at the same time, um, it's, it's not maybe realistic to expect that once the regulars come back and you're back down to the fourth line, whereas for a guy like Yolonen, like you, you see him have these flashes, even when he was playing really way down the lineup. And today you saw more of, more of the good stuff. Yeah, it makes sense. Although I, it kind of brings back to me, I guess there's like, they're not playing with much stakes right now. Right. And that's, you saw that last year with the Ottawa senators, right. Where once they were basically all but mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. They went on this fantastic run and all their guys were shooting the lights out and teams were underestimating them and they were getting wins when they probably shouldn't have. And it makes me wonder, maybe the whole way that uh, the NHL operates of like, well, if you make a mistake, you're going to get benched and you have to play this way if you're on the fourth line. Maybe that's the wrong way to approach things and we should just let guys play and allow young players no matter what line they're on to make those mistakes and have the freedom to go back out there. I know people talk about the NHL not being a development league, but for the best teams, I think they do treat the NHL as a development league because you kind of have to, in order to get the maximum out of your own players. Um, it, yeah, oh, go on. Jack. Yeah, go ahead, Matt. Go, go ahead. Well, I think some things when you watch a team like the Panthers and I mean, they had some pretty Panthers defensive breakdowns today, even though they're playing against half of an AHL team. And I'm not saying that they're great at it. They weren't in the past, but they'll let players do whatever it is that they're not that they're assigned to do, but the best versions of themselves that they can be. And I think that's why this team has gotten better in the last year or so is because they just were like, this is how we play. It requires risks. That means we might give up an odd man rush or two. If we make a mistake, all right, we can come and overcome that because we have the talent and the ability to do that. I wish they would put a little more focus into a game like this because it's clear that they didn't have it nearly as much as Montreal did. But I think there are some teams that now are starting to maybe allow their players to take more risks. And Jack, I, and I know you know this better than I do following the league and the systems more closely, but I think that there are some teams out there that you could see more of those free flowing kind of mistakes allowed to happen as opposed to the benchings. And even for good teams where the stakes are pretty high, because I think Florida allows it to a, a, a higher degree than you'd expect a team like that to do. So, so the, it- if I put myself in Florida's shoes for a second here, like it's, it's the first game after new year's which generally speaking, when you work in pro hockey, you know, it's like the worst game of the year in terms of the quality of play, especially if you're coming off a longer layoff than usual. Um, you've scored five goals. You've gotten 40 plus shots. Uh, you know, never mind who you played against that for me is a victory because if, if you, if you want to be a championship caliber team, Certainly, you know, you got to play a complete game, but also you're looking to be able to kind of walk over certain teams not playing your best. And and this is an example of that for Florida. And whether if you look at, you know, uh, whether it's uh, Nadal or Federer or Djokovic in tennis or Tiger Woods, you know, in his prime or, 
you know, any kind of dynastic hockey team, a lot of times they win games not playing their best, and but they still go through it relatively painlessly, which which I think is is the case tonight. And so, so that for me is a good sign for Florida. Maybe the coaches are not going to like advertise that heavily, but you know, as someone who's kind of uh, keeps it to myself, like like that's a good sign because if you're a good team, you're able to score five goals, get forty shots, um, not playing your best, then that means that you know the best is yet to come for you, and that's a good thing. And for, for Montreal's case, um, the the issue with a lot of having a lot of these call-up players for a sustained period of time is uh, obviously they're not as good as your regulars. They might have uh, they might provide you with more effort or maybe a, di- a different vibe from your regulars. But at, but at a certain point, unless you're a really really good young player, your game gets figured out, right? And like. Um, and we saw like, you know, Suzuki hit, he started pretty hot when he was a rookie. And then at some point the offense kind of dried up because teams figured out how to defend him. Same thing with Caulfield, um, same thing with, uh, Duran, you know, when he was younger. So like you, you can't expect, uh, you know, Harvey Pinard to, to sustain this or Pizzetta or, uh, Kale Clay or, you know, Schoenemann, you, you name it. Like they've shown good stuff tonight but at the same time like the difference between them and nhl regulars and nhl you know top six or top pair players is is that those players they have so much more depth to to their game and they're able to bring different dimensions and and play in a league where people are constantly trying to figure out what you do and take that away whereas if you're a rookie or if you're a player who's more of kind of a tweener and you come up you might hit a hot patch for a few games but at some point you, you just dry up completely because teams figure you out. Yeah. I think you can see that this like with Michael Pozzetta, who's been up for a good stretch. And I think this is his 22nd game in the NHL. And you look at the amount of ice he's seen over the last three or so seasons and the energy that he had when he was first called up to the Montreal Canadiens was incredible. It was him and Alex Belzeal put on the fourth line and they turned that fourth line. They were getting like 75% of the shot attempts for like a good eight or so games. They were like really, really incredible in like a sheltered role, bringing a lot of energy. And you've just seen that kind of seep out. Like, it's not like he's not trying, but that jump in the step is not there anymore. And it's very different to play a fourth line role or a third line role in the American hockey league compared to the rigors of an NHL schedule, especially in a year like this, where you're being asked to play, in spots above where you should be played. And that's why I think it's so difficult to really properly analyze a lot of players right now. Like, you know, it's, it's fun to watch Yelonen and Videmo right now as they're like doing things well, but as the season wears on, if the Canadians still continue to have injury issues and COVID issues like they have, these players will slow down. And a lot of people will sour on them. And it's difficult to understand from just like looking at it on paper and like production that that's going to be the case and not to necessarily throw the baby out with the bathwater on a lot of these guys because there's probably some value in them understanding how the NHL game works and how hard it actually is to sustain good play going forward. But uh, you're not going to see these guys kill it the remainder of the season. You know, I mean, you can see that obviously from just the results on the ice, but uh, 
I, I think there's it's interesting to see at the very least. It's kind of fun to see a bunch of new players. And even though it's really hard to figure out what's going on half the time because it's a bunch of new numbers and new players. <laughs> I don't know the American Hockey League ne- nearly as well as I used to. So I'm always trying to figure out like write notes like who's this? Who did that? So it's uh, a little bit difficult, but still fun to see new players on the team. I'll tell you as a play-by-play man, that could give me nightmares because you could do all the prep in the world and then two players are putting COVID protocol, what, 90 minutes before the game? And you're like, oh, yep. who's that? I And I, you have to prep for so many players in this situation. And it is kind of fun to watch them just play without, honestly, a care in the world. Like, I think Dumb Ducharme said something before the game. I hope they play hard if we don't get hurt, basically. And that's kind of what they did. And that's fun. The game was more fun than I thought it was because I'm going back and thinking about Thursday when Florida won 9-3, which wasn't really indicative of how that game was played. But Sam Montebo played much better than either Tampa goalie did. And I'm thinking to myself, as I'm getting up to get prepared for the game, I'm going, oh, no, is this going to be worse than that? Because it's a full-strength Panthers team pretty much against half a Laval team. And they put up a much better fight than even at times the Lightning did on Thursday. So that's, that's a credit to them all things considered. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like I wasn't maybe Matt, I wasn't as surprised as you were about the, the way the things went, because as I was saying before, you know, the NHL season is a marathon and you cannot sprint a marathon. Right. So you look at Tampa, they gave up nine goals, but it's just one loss. Like they're still, near the very top of the league. They're probably going to go far this playoffs, right? They're, they probably forgotten about that game already. Although, you know, with, with the, that in-state rivalry they have, which is really nice to watch it, they, they, they're probably not going to forget it, but they moved on from that at least, right? You know, Florida's won this game on the trot, whereas Montreal's got a half a team worth of guys who don't think they'll ever be back here again. So they're, they're just going all out. So, of course, you know, you have one team that's sprinting and the other team that's kind of pacing itself. It's going to look closer than it is on paper. I think it's just me having Panthers brain of following this team for as long as I have and seeing them in games like this just drop the ball. And it's it's frustrating. And maybe I shouldn't be thinking that because that's a previous era of the team as opposed to this one. But I, I think back to some of the games this year where it just it looked like they were more lost than they should be. And it's those frustrating things, I think, that it doesn't worry me for the playoffs because there's a long way to go, and this has been an incredibly tumultuous season. It's those little things I want, you know, you want to see them improve upon because in a playoff series against Tampa, Toronto, or anybody, they can't drop. And I worry times at this time, at times like this, that their level drops. And they can overcome it, but it's, it's part of the evolution of a team that doesn't yet, I think, know what the best version of itself is. Which makes sense because they're a team that uh, lost their coach halfway through like uh, a winning streak there. And they're a team that hasn't actually won in the playoffs yet. They're a team on the rise that has expectations for the first time really over the last couple of years now. So they're, they're a building team as opposed to a team that's in like the middle of a competitive window, right? They're not the Tampa Bay Lightning. So it, it does make sense that they are looking for their best selves. Um, getting back to the Canadians a little bit, uh, Cameron Hillis has gone from the ECHL to the NHL this year. Uh, the first Canadians player to do it since Mike Condon, I believe. 
I think he's the someone said he was the first skater to do it in the same season in Canadians history. I'm not sure if that's true, but that I saw that going around social media. He was actually on the positive side of the ledger on like all forms of measuring your impact on the ice. Uh, Corsi shots, expected goals tonight. Did you see anything interesting in his game, Jack? So I used to watch him quite a bit when he played for Guelph in the OHL, and and he's a player who who played on power play for them, put up some points, good playmaker, plays the right side on, uh, looked a lot like Nick Suzuki actually, you know, in, in terms of like the spots he likes to play on the power play and the way that he kind of reads the game. Um, you know, Suzuki's not a great skater by NHL standards. I think Hillis is even less of a skater than Suzuki is. Um, has a good brain for the game, has good feel with the puck, not really a shooting threat. Um, you know, hasn't really put up huge numbers in the AHL. Um, I don't like, like, I'm just going to temper expectations on this guy. I think, you know, he, he did well jumping into this situation and getting some puck touches and making some plays. Um, I, I just don't see him as a top 12 forward for most NHL teams, but, you know, good, good for him for making it here because not many players do. So, so, you know, good, good for him. Yeah, I feel at this point what he's pushing for is never going to the ECHL again. <laughs> you know, like that's that's got to be top of mind for him. And like, yes, an NHL career would be fantastic. Everybody wants to get an NHL career, but if you could use this NHL spot and show some some spark to the point where you never get sent down to the ECHL again, I feel like that's still a pretty good situation for Cam Hillis. So good for him. Uh, nice to see him excel a little bit in his first NHL game. Um, other than that, there's not too much to talk about with the Montreal Canadiens. They have a, I believe, 12 day stretch now where they're going to have postponed games because uh, the government here isn't allowing fans in the arenas and the Canadians want to make money and the NHL wants the Canadians to make money to add to revenue sharing. So their next game is in Boston, I believe, on the 12th. So good long stretch off here where they are in negotiations with the government of Quebec to be able to practice in Broussard. I'm not sure how that's going to work. So I'm wondering if they're just going to stay in Florida and like rent out a rink or something, because why not have a little mini vacation in the sunshine state instead of coming back here and to experience winter? Yeah. I uh, wonder. Like, oh yeah. yeah. No, go ahead, Jack. No, no, but I was going to say like, if I were uh, on the Habs team, that might sound like a really good plan just stay in Florida, have a week plus vacation with, with some practice days, some team building, uh, enjoy the weather, get some sunlight, um, you know, g- give the younger kids or the call up some reps and, and who exactly. knows, like may- maybe, maybe there's, there's a big positive out of this. It makes sense, right? Like, I guess, I don't know how much they can, they're allowed to do under like the cap restrictions for like paying for everything because I know there's certain things that you can and can't pay for. I guess like they wouldn't be able to like fly the family members down. I don't think, which it makes sense. It's still, we're in the middle of a pandemic, but uh, yeah, I, I think that it'd be an interesting situation for the Canadians to go on a little bit of a retreat here while they have the chance to do so instead of trying to come back to Montreal and practice in Broussard. Because again, I just, I don't know if the government of Quebec is going to allow that in the first place. The restrictions are getting pretty severe here. Not without also, good reason. Well, yeah, of course. I also wonder, and in Florida, there really aren't any. Uh, I also wondered because a couple of those players tested positive, like they can't cross the border without quarantining. 
And by the end of that quarantine period, you'd have to go back to Boston anyway. So figures you might as well, if you can stay in the States to do it, I don't know how that would work logistically. And also because the Islanders just had a trip postponed because of the same issues with the Western Canadian teams. I wondered if the league was going to like on the fly schedule, a Habs Islanders game that was postponed just to get it in. Cause both teams are now going to have a break and they have to find a way to get these games in at some point. Right. And you, you don't have to leave the country to do that. So I was thinking about that as I was watching the number of postponed games continue to go up. So I wonder if that's something they might do. So I wonder if it's not exactly an 11 day break, but more like they'll have a game when, you know, they have a more availability UBS arena or something like that. Yeah. I'm not sure. Uh, as of right now though, they have no uh, scheduled plans outside of the Boston game is actually a makeup game for one that was postponed a couple weeks ago. So <clears throat> sorry. We'll see how it goes. But for right now, uh, this is the last game over for a stretch, which is like, it's only the second one that I've done since uh, like middle of December. So it's been an awkward stretch for the Canadians where they just haven't played that much, which is true of a lot of teams. But uh, yeah, somebody's saying Florida is hit severely right now by COVID. I mean, everywhere is. Um, it's a matter of how you're willing to deal with how severely you're being hit by COVID and it's Florida. So yeah, I mean if they're basically quarantining in their hotel and only going outside and not going into, you know, restaurants and stuff, I don't think it's necessarily much more of a risk than being here and practicing in an arena, you know, like it's, there's only so much that you can do. I, I think I'm very of two minds with this whole situation now because like I've caught it and I've done nothing, <laughs> you know, like my only exposure really is daycare. So this is so contagious, this new strain that, uh, I don't know. I think everybody is just going to get it at this point, unless you're triple vaxxed. So we'll see how it goes. But, um, is there anything else about this game that uh, stuck out to you guys? Because I'm okay, actually, uh, willing to call it early. Actually speaking of that. So, so here's an idea. If, if the Habs do come back early, okay, why not practice outside? Cause they got a number of refrigerated outdoor rinks, uh, clear, clear off like 60 minutes or 90 minutes on the schedule have i mean you can have fans come in maybe have them distance a little bit but you know it's outside that you know give back to the community a little bit skate in the neighborhoods maybe that could be a cool thing to do i don't know and yeah. and, and the se- and the second thing is um i actually i really wanted to to be a part of the show for this game because if you look at what florida is right now and how they're playing and what they're doing e- even with all of matt's misgivings about the team like if montreal does absolutely everything right in the rebuild and they look like Florida does right now, but in like three or four years time, I would have, I, I would consider that a success. Like you look at how Florida has been able to revitalize that team. Um, you know, they started with a core of Barkov and Huberto um, and Ekblad and Uyghur, which they still have, but they, they've really revitalized everything around them and, and, and quite quickly. So it, it, like for me, Florida is a really great case study for the Habs if they want to turn this around within the next five years. Well, I think they absolutely can. There's plenty of talent there. And what Bill Zito was able to do that shocked me, and I think shocked the fan base for the Panthers, was how quickly he was able to turn this team from one that had no depth to one that had a lot of depth pretty quickly. And it surprises me because I watched on Thursday, Sam Bennett drops out of the lineup on game day, 
and they score nine goals. And even without Barkov and Duclair in the lineup at times, they could still have 26 shot periods against the Capitals and turn a 4-1 deficit into a 5-4 regulation win. And I think that's the most impressive thing that he's done. Of course, you have a core that's already there that's really good. But those guys had been around for a lot of years that were pretty mediocre, where they couldn't rise above the fact that the team just didn't have enough depth to carry them. And that depth overturned in two off-seasons. And now they're one of the deeper teams in the league. So it shows me that if you make the right decisions, you're going to get lucky, of course. But if you make the right decisions and you're smart with who you target and what you want them to do, you can turn something around really quickly. And I think the Canadians have a pretty strong base from which to build. It's just that the new front office with Jeff Gorton and whoever the GM is, if they target the right players, they make smart acquisitions, and they put forth the plan and they stick to it, it might not be very long before they get good again. Yeah. What I find interesting about Florida is how similar in age most of their roster is. You can clearly tell that the the idea was to have a lot of guys who are very similar in age, like Reinhardt, Barkov, Huberto, Bennett, Duclair, Vetrano, Verhage, uh, Mammon, is that his name? Maxi Mammon. Yes. Yeah. Mason Marchment, Aaron Eckblad, Brandon Montour, Mackenzie Wegar, Gustav Forsling, all between 25 and 28. Like that's, that's a lot of guys in one three year age range, right? It's very, very tight. And you look at the guys that they acquired over the last couple of years and like Sam Reinhardt, Sam Bennett, Anthony Duclair, Carter Verhage, those are all guys in that age range that have fit in really, really well. And I think that there's something to that. I mean, you look at the teams that have come up together either through acquisitions like the Panthers have or come together through drafting, like say the Chicago Blackhawks back in the day, they brought up a bunch of guys from the American hockey league at the same time, or like staggered them out. They were all came up together and they built together. I think there's a lot to that in the NHL, having guys that are in the same age range that uh, have known each other for maybe longer than being on the NHL club together. And that's something that the Canadians have struggled to do under the last management group because they haven't been able to draft anyone and their acquisitions have kind of been all over the place. Even though there have been good acquisitions, they've not been consistent. They haven't been focused on uh, a certain ideal outside of grabbing a bunch of hitty defensemen. Well, I think it's funny because I didn't even recognize that they were all within that same age bracket. And now you mentioned it, Andrew, I'm going, oh, right. You know, no, they did do that. It's, Shows you what, even if you follow a team, what you can miss. But the thing that they do is they find players to fit certain roles and they give those players those roles and say, we're not asking you to do more than you're capable of so long as you can do this, whatever it is that might be. And that's helped because you're in a team with Barkoff and Uberdo and Ekblad who can take the big load when somebody like Sam Bennett, who didn't work out in Calgary. Now he comes into Florida in a situation where the pressure is totally off of him. He does not have to do the same things he was asked to do. And it works. It's the same thing with Sam Reinhart. And there are players who are going to thrive in Montreal in the future because of that. They won't have had whatever it may be in their roles in their previous stop. It just didn't work. And as long as you're able to target those players and figure out what that might be, you can, get players to jump pretty quickly. And it's not like these players didn't have pedigree. In most cases, all of them did, but they've elevated their games because they're given roles that fit their skill sets really well. 
and it's not square pegs in the round holes. And that's been a Panthers theme in the past. It's just signing players and hoping it works. And in this case, they've done that not just once, but a ton of times with almost no misses. It's incredible how quickly they've been able to do that. And that's a sign of a, a front office where everybody's working in harmony and they know what they're doing, uh, all pulling in the same direction. And that's a tougher thing to get in pro sports than you would think it is. Absolutely. And you were saying uh, not putting square pegs in round holes. We got a commenter in the chat said very similar thing. Uh, the Canadians acquired good pieces, not necessarily matching pieces. I think that's it's very similar sentiments and uh, something that we'll close on here because I am still battling this thing and I've got to help my wife with the kids still because she is now battling this thing. So we're a COVID household right now. Uh, but thank you both for coming on here with me. And first, uh, Matt and then Jack, tell everybody where they can find your work. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Matt's Musings One, M A T T S M U S I N G S One. That's for me. Uh, why Hockey is Why Hockey. And uh, the other podcast it is the Outfield Podcast. At some point in the future, I hope we get to talk about that. I am bisexual. I have done 27 shows at this point where I interview out people in sports, number of people in hockey, including Bane Pettinger, agent for Tyson Berry, among others. It's a fun show if you want to understand the out person in sports experience. There have been some really cool guests on. So love it if you tune into all that. Jack? So, uh, yeah, for me, the best way to follow uh, my work is on Twitter, J H A N H K Y. Um, I have a number of ebooks uh, that I have on sale that kind of takes you behind the scenes of how NHL teams play and what the best players do. Uh, my, my next uh, upcoming book is, is actually, it's a collection of diagrams that showcase how each of the 32 NHL teams play, whether it's D-zone coverage, whether it's off the rush, whether it's their forecheck, uh, their offensive zone. Uh, really great resource for players, coaches, but also fans who really want to understand the game better. Perfect. Thanks so much, guys, and thanks to everyone for watching. We'll be back uh, whenever the Habs are back, whether it's the Boston game on the 12th or... If they schedule a game in between there, 